Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation co-hosted by Lenya Wilson and myself, Alexandra Detalia. Listen to our conversations while we discuss race and womanhood at the hearth level. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm surviving. I'm good. Well, I want to welcome Nora and introduce you to Nora, one of my good friends. Hello, everyone. We're going to know all about the beautiful Nora now. Yay. That's okay. (laughs) So Nora has two cats. Lenya has two dogs. I have two dogs and a cat. So we all, we're very animal, we're animal forward in this group, for sure. (laughs) So, so Laura, tell us about yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do. Yeah, totally. So hi, my name is Nora. I'm almost 50 years old, born and raised here in California. And I work in tech. I've worked in tech for my entire career. Okay, so I want to slow down. So where in California? Because California is a big state. Are you a, you're oh. a Southern California girl? Oh, I'm actually a Silicon Valley girl. Oh. Ooh. So I was born in Santa Clara, California, okay. and the house that was there is less than a mile from the new Apple headquarters, and it's just, you know, up the expressway to, to the Google headquarters. Wow. It's, so I grew up around tech. My dad was an aerospace engineer. He's retired some years back. So I, I always just, we've always had computers in the house wow. since the 70s, and I just grew up with them, and Tell everybody you know, I never what... went to school for them. Yeah, Nora, tell everybody what you do so everybody can be like, holy shit. Well, I've been a IT systems engineer for quite some years. My current employer is a company that makes rockets. And I should say that anything I say is not a reflection upon them. These are my opinions only. <laughs> but Nora may, helps make rockets, everybody. I just want everybody to like sit with that for just a minute. They like Nora makes rockets. <laughs> yes. And then it's so amazing that your dad was an aerospace engineer. So then it doesn't fall far from the tree. Like my dad was a judge. I was a lawyer. Definitely. Definitely. In fact, it was amazing growing up in, in a tech household and I, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. What can I say? My parents divorced when I was young. And at the time my dad got custody And I remember back when he was single and stuff like that. And I remember when he transitioned into aerospace back in the 70s. It was at different times back then with the Cold War and whatnot. And so as a daddy's girl, I I did everything my dad did. Yeah. Um, He would, you know, have me hand him tools when he was fixing the car because he's handy that way. Or we'd work together doing remodeling projects on the house. Or we would uh, do something technical and cool. I built my first computer with him when I was like five. Wow. Wow. And uh, he said, oh, you want to play games on the computer? Here's a book on programming. Figure this out and then we'll talk. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Can I ask, you can totally tell me if it's too personal, but certainly in the seventies, parents divorcing, a father getting custody was not a common occurrence. I mean, was that how was that for you? Did you want to live with your dad? Did you? Yeah. I was only three, so I didn't have a choice in the matter or much of a voice because I think at, at that time I didn't really understand what was going on. Sure. I don't remember any part of, you know, going to court or anything like that. Don't even know if I went to court. 
but you know, there was, my mom was there for a while and then she wasn't. And then we were, we moved from, you know, apartment to apartment and yeah, that's just how it was. Wow. Because you do know that's very um, different right now. I mean, my brother got custody, but even then, and that was 15 years ago, that was, it's still a big deal. Like it's not something that often happens. Yeah, by my birth mother was an artist. She played the flute. I think my parents actually met in the marching band in their high school. Oh my God. Because my dad was always in drum corps and I believe that my mom was as well. So, so she was an artist, a little bit flighty, you know, in that artisty way. And I inherited a lot of it. I inherited a lot of that from her. <laughs> I'm very flighty, just like uh, I imagine she was. And she just wasn't uh, capable at the time of raising a kid by herself. Sure. All right. So tell us. So you grew up in. So you grew up in in tech. And I'm going to have to pick your brain about that because I'm working on a writing project right now where it's set in 1991 up north. And I do want to talk about, it's right on that cusp of the internet. So the internet existed mm-hmm. for some people, but not everybody. And like people were just starting I was on to have laptops. Yeah, but I wasn't. So it's that idea. And I want to sort of, I'll need to talk, I'm going to have to talk to you offline about that experience because that really was that last era of time before everything was online. So that'll be exciting. Yeah. Because you talk Oftentimes about- Oftentimes my colleagues and I will sort of reminisce for the old days when you actually had to be smart to get on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute, explain that. What was it like being on the internet in 1991 or so? What, I mean, because websites didn't Well, there really wasn't much exist. to do. Right. The World Wide Web and like Mosaic, That I think that- would be what a lot of people would consider to be like the birth of the internet because Mosaic was the very first web browser. And that came out in, I think, 92 or something like that. Prior to that, we had things called BBSs. BBS stands for bulletin board system. And they were, you would use your modem on your computer to dial into this central server and there would be message boards, there would be online games, things like Trade Wars 2000 and Land of the Barons. I mean, those were great games. Wow. And, oh, yeah, it was a completely different time. And then we were on Prodigy for a little bit, and that was kind of fun. I think that was, it was different. It was, Obviously, it wasn't web. It was kind of like web, like AOL was web. But yeah, it was a different time because you actually had to know how to use your computer. And back then, it was pretty much only smart, like, basement dweller IT pers. <laughs> I mean, I remember using like databases like in law school and having it, you know, have to dial in and then you'd have access to the database. But I do remember in 1996, Eric and I getting like a computer with inter- getting internet for the home. And I remember like we set it up and we were like, we can look up anything on, you know, the World Wide Web. And we found some sort of weird <laughs> electronic music and we made a dinner and listen to a screen, who knows what it was, who knows what we found, <laughs> but this like weird music. And we were like, this is magic. And that was I my entree into the World Wide Web. How funny, as a librarian, I had access to the internet in 1990. Yeah. And you know, like back then, part of, part of my, my MLS, 
paperwork, what do you call it? It was just like a, it was a paper that I was working on for the MLS handbook it was about protocols on the internet and citing into citing sites on the internet for your research papers. So, you know, I was, I wasn't maybe in like you, Nora, but we were, <laughs> we were trying to develop a way for students to be able to use the internet in their research papers and cite certain materials, you know, because back then, you know, it was a brand new thing. It was a brand new way for students to be able to access information. So I had been on the internet for quite some time. I mean, I remember Boolean searching. That's wow. Oh, yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. So, so you probably did a lot of FTP and Gopher commands. Yes. I would guess. Yes. Well, it's so interesting because when you know when for law school we used to have to teach all of that, like how to search and Boolean and all yeah. those things. There have to be specific classes. Like here's how to do this. And now with Google, there is sort of an assumption that you know a student comes in and we're like, you know how to do this. This is yeah. this should be natural for you. So it's, it is a really different system. I mean, so, so Nora, tell me how you and Lenya met. I don't even know how you guys met. Well, we met at a shop up in Woodland Hills. North, no, North Hollywood. North Hollywood. Yes. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name or not. Yeah, you're allowed. Yeah. Oh, it, it's a Wilshire Wigs. We met at Wilshire Wigs, a fine store, by the way. <laughs> And no, I'm not getting paid for that, though I wish I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm just, laughing for a whole bunch of reasons. <laughs> I know, but I mean, the fact is you love that wig store when you work I there. Know. And this is the store, if people um, don't know if they're Ellen fans, if they're Ellen DeGeneres fans, um, this was the wig store that was uh, on her show that made Ellen and Lenya. It made Lenya famous oh. because Lenya... Ellen was in there trying on a whole bunch of wigs and Lenya's trying to help her. And it's really she funny. Was an absolute bitch. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, what's really funny is Lenya's going to cut this part out. No, I am not. Okay. No, I am not. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because now the world knows I don't have to hide it. She's not going to threaten my career. That's true. <sighs> the Good world point. knows. Now, thank you. <laughs> if, if it had been prior to everybody coming out against her, I probably would have cut it. But now the world knows I'm not the only one. And you know, I've been saying this for years, and every you know, within small circles, people knew it's not like this was a secret. Yeah, she threaten you if you came out against her. So this is not a secret. Everybody knows that she is a stark raving bitch, and that wow. was. Yeah, so we're going to have to do a show, and I even have a friend that I think we should ask on, about feminism and the word bitch. We're going to have to talk, like, we're going to have to all talk about that. Do you know what's really funny, Nora? My husband and I moved into this house two weeks before quarantine, you know, before the whole quarantine thing went down. Mm -hmm. And we're... Both of us have this like weird thing with, you know, living in boxes. Like the moving process was most stressful for me because of the boxes. So we moved in on, I guess, like a Tuesday. I had 90% of the boxes completely unpacked, maybe not everywhere going wherever everything needed to go yet, because I was still trying to figure it out. But 90% of the boxes all done in four days. 
Well done. I'm with you. I hate boxes. Yes. I cannot live around boxes suck. And uh, we our move was different than most moves because we had to sell our house in order to purchase this house, Yes. which isn't unusual in itself. But the people that purchased our house had some weird financing and it actually took a couple months to get it through because of COVID and the holidays. Same. We staged our house with our own stuff and put almost all of our possessions into storage. And then, and then basically lived out of our suitcases for three months. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's the same. Wow. It's exactly the same. We, ha- we, in order to get this house, we had to sell our other house. And the person who bought our other house was going through some weird divorce. And they had, and we were trying to, because they were a family with two small children, we wanted to work with them because we didn't want them to miss out, especially since she was going through a divorce, about to become a single mother. The whole thing was already very stressful for her. And so, you know, we worked with her, but three and a half months. And then they told us, they gave us maybe four days notice that the finance was all of a sudden going to come in and they wanted to be in the house. Wow. And wow. Yeah. <laughs> It was the craziest four days. I don't think I, I took two weeks off of Wilshire at that time because wow. I, get, I couldn't, I just, you know, we had to get everything together so quickly. We did the same thing as you. We staged the house completely with our furniture and moved everything into one of those pods. Which yeah. Was, wow. Great. Because when we moved in here, we just got the pod and moved, you know what I mean? Like it was very little moving. And like I said, quarantine hadn't quite happened yet. It was two weeks. No, three weeks later. So everybody kept going, oh my God, you moved at the right time because then the whole, you know, whole um, world locked down for a month. And I don't know what we would have done had. Well, people have done it. I mean, people moved. I mean, it was unbelievable, oh, yeah. you know, how people had to manage though. it. Yep. Yeah. Best housing market. So this was the time. Well, one of my closest friends, she really bought a house in Palm Springs during like in July 1st and moved in four weeks later and has furnished the entire thing. So Nora, talk to us. So now you're in tech and you work for, for this company. Talk to us through what it's like being a woman working in this industry, because I would understand it to be a very male dominated industry. Well, aerospace, just a lot of tech things is a male dominated industry. I I would guesstimate that my company is maybe 10 percent female and i believe that the percentage of managers that are female is higher at least but yeah yeah only about 10 percent of the staff probably is female it's it kind of sucks because they actually took away some of our bathrooms because we hired more men and they needed bathrooms and they were queuing up outside of the restrooms (laughs) i've been mansplained to a couple times but at least in in my industry people tend to be I don't know, civilized. So sometimes men will open doors for me or whatever, and it's no big thing. I'm fortunate because I'm very tall, uh, taller than most of the guys. So I usually get what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you say mansplain, so how does that happen in IT? I, I think we can all sort of, I'm even mansplained to sometimes by Eric, where, you know, my partner, and it's, and he's a feminist. He's amazing. But there are times where I'm like, really, are we really going there right now? And, yes. and I've become much more sensitive to it in the workplace. But how does it happen for you in IT where you're mansplained? One instance that, that 
I'll always remember because it was the first one that I had ever been mansplained to. I was talking with a fellow about how two circuit boards connect. And he's like, well, you know, that's awfully complicated, right? <laughs> you know, that's my job. Of course, I know how to do that. Yeah, yeah. that's why we're here talking about this board. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. I need this thing. Give it to me. That's crazy, but not surprising. So do you fa- do you face, is there sexual harassment in that industry as well? Whether you have been sexually harassed or no, you don't feel it? No, I've, I've never been sexually harassed at work as Nora. <laughs> no, I mean, people wouldn't, people don't generally sexually harass in professional industries unless they're a boss trying to get away with stuff because they don't want to lose their jobs. Oh, I don't know if that's true. I worked in law firms and I was... Oh, that's different. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but it's professional. But I was like, there was definitely a lot of sexual harassment. And unfortunately, you know, I haven't practiced in years. But then I listened to my recent alum, and Lenya knows this because I tell her all the time, but it's such a shame because it hasn't changed that much. So even with all the awareness, even though people might lose their jobs, it is still occurring at a kind of alarming rate. And it's, it's really unfortunate. And it's, unfor- it's just- I mean, the only, the only thing that's changed is where I definitely dressed. I changed the mode of how I dressed to some degree in order to minimize things where women now will not do that, which, you know, they're no F you. I'm going to wear what I want. And then, you know, you will take the consequences where I would wear, you know, my hair back. I would, it's almost like I would de, I wouldn't make myself like look more masculine, but I wouldn't, I have a- You would shrink yourself. I would shrink myself. I would shrink myself in order to avoid that. And I, now I don't do that at all. And, but I'm proud to say that so many of my alum in their twenties aren't doing that either. And that's the forward progression. But you said- as Nora. So you want to tell everybody? Right. So I, I may have just been lucky and dodged the whole harassment bullet because until two years ago, I lived life as a man. I was born male, assigned male at birth. And so, yeah, I'm transgender. One of a surprising number, actually, that are, that are around us and most people just don't know. <laughs> Congratulations. For your tra- on your transition, and I mean, I it just takes such bravery to do so. So I just you know I want to hold space for your bravery, and of course you're not alone. Of course there are so many people, and that's I hope we can pass the mic to you today and allow you that voice for other people to realize that there are so many trans people out there. And we need to, for lack of a better verb, normalize this. Yes. So hostility stops. But yeah, being a woman in your 20s sucks. So maybe you did dodge a bullet. (laughs) (laughs) A big one. (laughs) I mean, I'm six feet tall, blonde, and in shape. So I tend to get attention from men. Yeah, you're gorgeous. Uh, Yes, always stunning from the moment I met you. I'll go to the market and I'll see guys going, you know, Doppler effect with the eyes or even at work sometimes because we have a a pretty big 
sprawling campus. And so I'll go to a place I've never been to before, or it's been a while. And I walk in and I see all the guys' heads look up. <laughs> oh, can I ask you, and this is interesting, do you enjoy that? I mean, in, do you know what I mean? Do you enjoy that attention, especially after everything you went through to be who you truly are? Well, I would say that they're not my target audience because I still prefer women. And you're married to the most gorgeous woman. And I am married to the most gorgeous woman. Since it's 2021, we'll be celebrating our 11-year anniversary. Wow. I do because it means I'm doing something right. And it validates me. It helps validate me because they don't see me as a man. It's taken some time to get to this stage, right, where I can just walk out. I'm I'm wearing my, you know, just head-to-toe Lululemon and, you know, I've made it to the point where I can just walk out and people, you know, men will open the door for me. Or if we go to a restaurant, oh, what, what would you like to drink, miss? Or, you know, pass someone on the street, ah, oh, hello, ladies, if I'm with my wife. Yeah. No, so, and I think that's not only is it important to you, but I think that as women, so not just as a trans woman, like saying that you feel validated, I think Lenya and I can both also speak from puberty or finding our own self-esteem or self-confidence that fortunate or unfortunate, it comes sometimes from the male gaze. And while we don't necessarily always want male gaze, you know, even if you're reading Pride and Prejudice or Jane Austen or Anne of Green, any of those books that (laughs) Lenya and I loved growing up, we talked about it, all of it ends up with the female getting a man. You know, so we're all sort of brought up in that concept. So I even have an essay on my website sort of about my transformation at 16, kind of from someone who understood her feminine power to from someone who didn't and really blossoming under the power I felt of men saying, you know, hey, or getting called out. And it's it's an interesting tightrope to walk as a woman where, yes, I think it's disgusting to objectify women, but... I also feel a little bit validated. I like the word that you used, gaining power from it, because that, that's exactly how I feel. Like, that's it. You're, it's power. Feed me power. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. And it's and I grapple with it because I shouldn't have to want power that way. And neither should you. Nobody should have to rely on somebody else to empower themselves. So that's something we should all as humans work on. But I'm not going to deny that it doesn't exist. And that honestly, at 53, where nobody actually cat calls me ever anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That I do get looked at, but you know, Maybe it's nice to be invisible, but sometimes I have to say I miss it. Like I miss being able to walk in a room and command the same level of attention that I used to even 10 years ago. And, and, you know, that's, we talk about women aging and that's an issue. And for you to sort of have that culmination of all your work for it to happen. I mean, good for you. Good for you. So you mentioned that you and your wife have been together for 11 years. So she stood, she was with you through this whole transition. She certainly was. She was the second person I came out to, the first being myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to do it, but I was compelled to still change it, but I didn't want to lose my wife. And I was in this pickle 
where if I move forward, I'll lose everything. But if I don't move forward, I'll die. You know, not that I was suicidal or anything, but I mean, uh, and so when she finally knew that was one of the worst weekends of my life, I should say, she felt betrayed. She was angry. She was confused. She, she had the entire gamut of emotions that weekend, but you know, that Monday just things changed and, uh, and we, I could tell that she had the resolve to move forward with me because she was in this. You know, wow. the, she was in this with me. She still liked me for me. And, and she understood that. I am so, so fortunate that she decided to remain with me because that's not the case for a lot of people like me. I'm fortunate in so many ways, but that is one of the big ones. It's well, it's a testament to your love. It yes. also like really shows you how all of this is on a spectrum and that if we just related to one another human to human, we could stop all the categorizing yes. at all, Yes, you know, and, and just have it be like love other humans. And then when you love one other human, you partner up with that human and it doesn't, labels don't matter. Identification, self-identification does. And then partnership matters. It's, I wish we could reframe our society to be that way and it's a testament to the two of you that you went through that and that she stood by you like through the entire Alex if you see the two of them together you know that there is more love in that relationship than you will probably see in any other relationship they are so beautiful together I I wouldn't expect Nora that it would have gone any other way maybe she was felt confused in the beginning but I feel the way when I see you two together, that there, there was really going to be no other option. Do you know what I mean? I I mean, I know you feel very lucky and, and you are very lucky that the two of you are together, but I I just, there's just something about seeing the two of you together that I know that it was net, you were never, ever going to be alone. Yeah. I'm speechless. Really. It's just awesome. I, I couldn't ask for a better life. We're so fortunate. Wow. When you say the hardest thing was coming out for yourself, you really, there wasn't, I mean, now 11 years ago, so we had the internet, there was like, you had, there was a way to like Google and like maybe find support that would have been much harder 30 years ago to do. Like, how would you find that support? But the library, (laughs) I imagine that yeah, the library, right, exactly. And what does I well, I just this is a separate thing, but I just remember sitting in grad school for for creative writing and I was 40 and one of my friends must have been about 28 I, I in the grad school program and she wrote a whole essay about being called fire crotch. She had a red hair. And so she went to <laughs> home, she didn't know what that meant, and so she wrote fire crotch into the internet and you know, like porn just sprang up and she was 10 and this is everything. And I was just thinking one, how lucky that she could sort of find out what it was because at 10, I would have walked around not knowing. And it's not like you'd go to the library, like even if you went to the library, what would you find on fire crotch? But then how sad, because I would have had fantasy <laughs> about what that might have meant. And maybe that would have been a good thing. I have, I have no idea, but 
It really is. But I can't imagine the great loneliness you must have had. When did you know, when did you understand that you weren't living in the right body? I knew that actually pretty young. Before I was double digit age, for sure. Places and like shoplift women's clothing. If there was like a discarded article of clothing on the street that I, I thought, you know, would Bill, whatever it was that was in my head that was compelling me to to do this, then I would I would grab it, and I I knew, I knew pretty young. Wore in his underwear for a little while as a preteen. Just it was difficult not knowing because, like you said, like where do you go to find this information? That that tax crisis was just blossoming in the early mid eighties. No one really knew anything about anything stigmatized, so no one really talked about it because and I knew I was different, but it was uh, challenging to understand what I was because I didn't know what I was. I knew I was because we had like, when when you're a teenager in the 80s, you have sleepovers with your friends or like, we heard that it feels really good to put your wieners in each other's butt. And we're like, oh, cool, let's check it out. But I could never get up. I, I could never get it up. <laughs> wow. So now that's the insight into to sleepovers that Alex and I don't have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that was a thing for me. And uh, uh, maybe it was just the California thing because, you know, California. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Theory in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> We're both East Coasters. Oh, yeah, that was not, okay. Yeah. So that... <laughs> I don't know if that would happen in New York. No. <laughs> well, maybe it did. It probably did. Because the yeah, DL, it's huge in New York, right? Everybody's on the DL. Down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where the, the phrase uh, first came from, right? Yes. It was the black gay men like in Jersey or New yes. York or something. Yep. That's exactly where it came from. So then when did you first, I mean, I'm really just thinking, I'm wondering about my um, nephew's slumber parties and what they talk about right now, but I'm going oh, to try to get my head out of that thought process. My sister now is cringing. She's listening to, she's like, oh, Alexandra, stop talking about my son this way. What he does at sleepovers are his own business. So when did you, when were you able to put a label to yourself? Like, when did you know? So you, you, like. So I, when I found, when I realized actually what I was, a transgender woman, I was driving westbound on Florence on a Sunday morning here in Los Angeles, just listening to k-pop or whatever and it was a lovely sunny day i think i might have had the window down and then it just dawned on me like oh that explains everything wow it, it wasn't like in the movies where it might have you know you know crashing orchestra music it, it was like one of those really it was one of those realizations that was so profound that it was quiet yeah it was paradigm changing quite remarkable <laughs> what was the first thing you did after that epiphany i went and got my ears pierced 
Wow. (laughs) No, you know, I think that's, I think that's beautiful. I mean, because we don't really talk about, because men wear earrings, whatever, but getting both ears pierced is such a rite of passage (laughs) for women. And so, I mean, more so than getting your period. Oh yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. In the Hispanic community and in some African and American communities, we are, we get our ears pierced before we leave the hospital. So I have ears pierced since before I was like one and I have always had my ears pierced. And this is, and and my cousins, this is something I I don't even know anyone in my family, both sides, black and Hispanic, who didn't have their ears pierced very early. Well, so that, I actually, I know that because part of my mother's not doing it. And she was like, you're not getting your ears pierced until, you know, 16. And then my mother got cancer and she gave in. She was missing, going to miss my birthday and Christmas when she had surgery. And so she's, okay, it's sixth grade. You can get your ears pierced. But I still say it's a rite of passage because even though you didn't experience that rite because it happened as an infant, your parents experienced that rite of passage of, I had a girl, I'm piercing both ears. And so I, and so whether it's a right for the parents for a girl piercing the ears, or it's a rite of passage for the preteen girl to pierce her ears, it's a big connection to being a girl. Okay. Rightly or wrongly, right? In, in that same idea, but that is, it is like a massive, even what you're saying, because you're, no boy's ears are pierced in the hospital. No. Right. So, I mean, it it still is sort of this thing, like I'm a girl, like it is this thing, whether it's done at 13 or done as an infant. And so for Nora to go and be like, yup, I'm going to the mall and piercing my ears. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. (laughs) I I went all out too. I had, I added, I think six to this ear and two to my other one. It was really cool looking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I just, oh my God, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. So one day in a different episode, I have to tell you, Alex, the story of how my son got his ears pierced. Okay. And he is both pierced, right? No, now I don't know if he has both pierced, but I know he wanted the one pierced, but he was very young. He wasn't even double digits. Wow. Well, good for him. He I wanted actually- it. He pressed Men, I for it, and you let them do it, and you're right, right? Like you let them do it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think no men with an ear pierced, I think it's really sexy. I've always thought it was really sexy. I like both ears pierced, one ear pierced. I I love men with a pierced ear. You only get your left ear pierced because if you get your right pier- ear pierced, it means you're gay. Does that was that true? Real? Is that still true? Oh God, I don't know. I don't talk to teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that being true, like when I was a teenager and in my 20s, that there was messaging going on with, you know, am I being a scenester or a hipster or, you know, am I alerting, (laughs) you know, but part of that was because everybody was sort of hiding. So it was like this, you know, connection of messaging, I'm sure, where people could see one another. I don't know now. I mean, I have no idea. 
foot. And I'm also seeing so many people without anything, without tattoos, without piercings. And then on the other end of things, I find that people are having, you know, their neck tattooed in ways that nobody would have done even five years ago. So people are free, but the earrings are a big thing. I mean, so, and then I have to ask, Nora, what did you do next? I mean, even choosing yes. your name. Take us through the whole process. Well, the, the story behind my name is actually a pretty simple one. So I've worked in tech almost all my life. I won't say what my dead name was, but it started with an N. And okay. so my entire life, my username was either my first name or it was N Talent, my first initial last name. And so one of the reasons I chose Nora is that it started with an N. I, I didn't want to have to change my username after, you know, 40 years of typing it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that that is what guided the name. That is so practical. No, I, I'm sorry. We need the username so, to stay the same. I believe that people kind of end up reflecting their names after a while, right? If you know someone with an uncommon name, you couldn't imagine them with any other name. They look like that name. And uh, I feel like even with my transition, I still look like someone whose name starts with N. It because you know there's not a lot of there's not a lot of female names that start with N. There's Nora, Nicole. We can probably come up with maybe you know five more, but there's not a lot. Right. I changed my middle name as well, and once again kept the same initial. Once again for a tech reason, because my initials were N E T, like the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I love this so much. I love it. So I love it. So I had to keep my middle name starting with E. Uh, so I ended up honoring my father's mother, whose name was Eva Maria. And so that's now my middle name. Wow. I love that. That's beautiful. <laughs> so Did your my wife was the one that first suggested Nora. She gets all credit for that one. But isn't that really poignant that it was something that you really discussed and you chose together <laughs> as a team moving forward? Yeah. I, that's really, that's beautiful. Yeah, we talked about it. We talked about it in depth, but uh, we just kept going back to Nora, and I love it. No, I love the name Nora. So did you, does your family know? Yeah. My family does know. Most of, I, most of my family was pretty cool about it, because I have uh, gay cousins, and so their, their parents are totally cool with me. I practically, to be practical, I came out to them first so they would know. I knew that they would be okay with it. I saved my parents for last because I knew that would be the hardest. They are, they are very conservative religious types. Wow. And they went to very conservative religious church and sent me to super conservative religious school. And my entire life, they were just like, gay is bad, gay is bad, gay is bad. You know, don't be like the gays. And, you know, all the stuff that that you would expect conservative religious types to say. So I saved them for last. That was difficult. I cried a lot. I remember I, I was, I had to come out to them or else I was just going to explode. And... I'll never forget that day. Like I, I was at work actually, and I'm just like, I gotta call my dad. I gotta call my dad. 
I went to the uh, restaurant that's next door to work. There's a courtyard by the airport there. And I called my dad and it was, I cried so much that I could barely talk. But my dad, the engineer, he asked questions. <laughs> That's great though. It's great. So that, that, what did he ask? It, Can I, do you remember? He asked if I would be wearing a wig. And I said, yeah. Uh, what else did he say? I, I, I think he asked if I was out at work. And at that time I was. Well, I don't recall if I was actually wearing my hair then, but I probably was. That, that's actually all I remember. But he, he asked questions like that, the sort of practical ones. Yeah. And he didn't seem to offer an opinion one way or the other, but at least said, you know, we'll talk later. We'll talk later. That was nice. But I knew my stepmom would be the tough part because she was the one that got my dad into the religion thing. But that was a bad conversation. I actually recorded that one because I knew it would be bad. I had her on speakerphone and I carry two phones. Since uh, one of those things you have to do when you're changing your identity is change your phone number. And so I recorded that and she said the most awful things ever, which I knew she would. That's why I recorded it because that was the only way my dad would believe that she was could be so mean. She said that, she said, why did you wait so long to come out to us? And I said, well... Uh, I was afraid that you guys would choose religion over me. And she said, well, of course, religion is more important to me than you are. Oh, my God. And I was, my heart just, and uh, I cried and I cried. I cried for a week. <laughs> I can imagine that just must felt like such wow. rejection and such conditional love. Has she come around, though? Yeah, they, were, they didn't have unconditional love for me. But to answer your question, Lynn, yeah, yeah they, they have come around. I, I actually met them for the first time during the pandemic when, when things opened up briefly in around Father's Day. I don't remember what month Father's Day is in. When things opened up a little bit around Father's Day, we drove to the Phoenix area where they live and met them for the first time. And it was great. They just talked to me like nothing had ever changed. It was amazing. When we left, we, we stayed there at, at their house for uh, Father's Day. When we left, I actually regretted, not regret, I, I was sad to leave. Wow. And I actually was looking forward to the next time seeing them. And I had never felt that way before. Oh, that's <laughs> wow. good, though. So well, maybe this might be an opening for your relationship. Definitely. Absolutely. And it's I'm, I don't know why they had a change of heart, but I'm very grateful that they had a change of heart and, and just treat me like me. I don't, Can I ask? Yeah. Nora, did you play the tape to your dad? I told him and he said, well, that didn't sound like her. There was never an opportunity to on that one visit that we had. And I, I didn't want to lose the good vibe. Absolutely. Yeah. Did, it, did you feel like, I'm so happy. I agree with Lenya. I mean, this is such opportunity for you to forge a deeper relationship. But did you have a moment where you wanted a reckoning or an apology for the initial treatment? Did or could you because it's blood and you could just sort of let it go? Or I've struggled with that over the years because there are plenty of things I could tell you. You know, they did their best to do well by me, and I was never hungry and was never wanting for anything. But but. They were there in every way, but where I needed them to be, you know, being just normal parents again. 
and not basing everything upon what their weird right-wing Christian church said. But I think my transition has actually allowed me to, to get past that by a significant amount, actually. Because I'm like a phoenix, right? I'm emerged from the ashes of my old me, and I'm this shiny, bright being. And it feels like none of that old stuff really matters anymore. Good yeah. on you. Oh, my God. That's that is so such good. a great analogy. And you know what? That's really That's so, it's so applicable. I am a phoenix. I love that. And it's so applicable to every human, really. You know, like when you go through like a period, because it is like it connects, like you have this extreme humanity experience that somebody has, but anybody listening should be able to say, I want to change my life in some meaningful way. And I'm, and there's going to be a before and there's going to be an after, and I want everybody to respect it. And I think that that's an important lesson that every human can get from your experience. It's so you told us that coming out at work, I mean, did you change jobs or did you just say, Hey, I'm please call me Nora now? Well, that's a great question. So the first person I came out to work to was my boss at the time. He, he was a, he was a younger Asian guy in, in his you know early thirties. And we went to this common dining area and we sat down. I told him what was up. And the first thing he said to me was, okay, I'm not going to claim to understand what you're going through, but if anyone here gives you any problems, you let me know and I'll take care of it. And that's what I needed. Everybody wants that supervisor. Yeah. Yes. Everybody wants him. (laughs) Yes. He's an incredibly good guy. Yeah, just thinking about that actually makes me tear up a little bit. I need a tissue. Pardon me just a sec. Does he go down as your best boss? No, but I, <laughs> he's probably the second best for sure. <laughs> I, well, I just want to know. I mean, Lenny and I are both thinking, who are your bosses and how can we get them? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because if that wasn't your best boss, like... What you must have had some amazing yeah. He's... Yeah, I, he's a good guy. I don't want to name him by name or anything, but he and I talk. He no longer works with the company, but he and I are still friends. So that's pretty cool. So he I, took um, care of me in another way, too. So there's this awkward time when you're transitioning, when at least when you're going from male to female, there's an awkward time that seems to happen to everyone where you just look awkward. You know, you look like a man wearing makeup in women's clothing and, you know, you don't look like transgender. You look more queer or gay or something. And as it turns out, society doesn't like people who look like that. Yeah. Uh, and there was one time when some dudes tried to murder me in a park uh, not too far um, away from work and home. And I had to go to, had to deal with some police stuff, as you might imagine. And the next day I was walking out the door and I said, oh, hey, I I have to go. I have to go deal with this police thing. I I was attacked last night. And he's, oh, okay. Yeah, you just definitely go take care of that. And the next day I got an email from one of the automated HR systems saying that my parking space had been reassigned. 
and it was to the best area that you can park. And I thought I had won the lotto because there was a thing where you, there, there was a time when you entered your information into this uh, internal website saying, hey, I want to be in this lot. And it was, there was like a lottery system of sorts to get in there. I got an email the next day, you've been transferred to this lot. And only to find out later that day that my boss had done that for me. So I wouldn't have to go across this one dangerous parking lot where I had been getting uh, messed with that. Wow. And you know, he took care of me. Everyone needs a boss as good as this guy was. Wow. That's amazing. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I do know as, as working at Wilshire Wigs, because, you know, part of what, one of the things that I guess I worked really well with was helping people in their transition when they're first starting to realize who they really want to be and helping them figure out with the wigs to design what they want to look like. And I have seen several people go through their different stages. And I know that awkward stage that you're talking about. Uh, and one of the greatest things that I loved the most and missed the most out of working at Wilshire Wigs was helping people through that period of time. I bet, because you get to see people transform. Yes. I get to see them literally being the phoenix. I get to see that entire process. I still miss some of my clients that were, you know, that went from the the beginning and then, you know, transformed into these beautiful women. But I, I do remember helping this two people in specific, specifically going through that awkward period. And I felt for them so badly because that you could tell that they felt awkward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be really hard because, again, I sort of think about transition, I think, through to puberty. And in the sense that for most people, everybody goes through their awkward phase in middle school. And so everybody's kind of in it together, although at different times. And to be trans and to transition during adulthood when you're such a minority in that, it's just, it's, it's, it has to, again, be horribly alone. You must feel horribly alone in it. Well, I really yes. hope that some of my people felt better coming to me at Wilshire and that I helped them feel like they're not alone. Yeah, you always helped me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but I always knew you as Nora. That's a little different. I've always known you as Nora. That's true. That's true. Well, I, Lenya, I'm sure you did. I mean, one, you're just so... You're just such an amazing soul and you connect with everybody, but also during that whole time. So people who've probably seen a picture of Lenya on her website or on Facebook during the whole time that Lenya worked at the wig store, she wore wigs. And so, yeah. so she was connecting and saying, I'm wearing, I'm wearing wigs too. And so I have to imagine that had to be a very connecting moment for you with any of your patrons. Well, I had shaved my head. Yes. Yeah. And I'm only just now growing that back. But it's interesting to be why you shaved your head. Why did you shave your head? Because I was going gray and I just, I didn't like the way I was only gray, you know, and not everywhere else. And I felt, talk about awkward stage. I just felt like this is, it, it just wasn't working for me how it was growing out, but I didn't want to dye my hair anymore. And I guess part of working at Wilshire Wigs I learned a lot about cancer because a lot oh. of us 
yeah, a lot of my other clients were all going through chemo. And one of the first things that they tell you when you're about to, when you develop cancer and, and it's, and you're, uh, doctors letting you know, it's for you to stop dyeing your hair. Now, if they're telling you to stop dyeing your hair, there has got to be some kind of <laughs> correlation there, right? So I thought, <laughs> I'm going to stop dyeing my hair. And this is in the first few, like what, the first three months of my working at the shop. And then and then that's when I started realizing how my hair was growing out in this re- in really badly way with the gray. And so, you know what? I, I started wearing the wigs to see if I would be happy being gray. So I had a gray wig. I don't know, Nora, you knew me with the gray wig, right? Yeah, yeah, it looked cool. Yeah, so I wore the gray wig for almost a year. And I shaved my head and thought, I'll just start again. Well, starting again is still stupid because, look, I still have this, like, ridiculous half gray, half black. So I'm just like, you know, I'm going to hate I think it looks great. Yeah. So... Nora, when you chose your wig, did you, so now you have long, beautiful, straight blonde hair. Did you choose a wig that was long, straight and blonde? Or did you do something like, I'm going to, because Lenny also had a pink wig for a while. So did you go (laughs) funky or did you just say, no, this is, I'm identifying, I'm wearing long blonde hair? Back then this was pre-pandemic days. So you could actually spend time indoors trying on wigs. So I've spent many an hour with Lenya in the shop trying on different colors, different styles. My very first wig that I purchased was actually a long-haired straight brown wig, but then I just wasn't really feeling it and I never wore it. So we went back to Wilshire Wigs and I bought one of the Raquel Welch synthetic blonde ones. It was like shoulder length and it was pretty cute and I, I liked that one and wore that. And then I was introduced to John Renault. To the California Blondes, John Renault. <laughs> I love that I, you guys know the names and they're so Hollywood. I love it. <laughs> I started with the synthetic hairs, the Kayas, which I actually still have, though I'll never wear again. You went to the Blake. You are. It's perfect for you. It's perfect for me. So Wait, this explain, is Blake. Explain, the color yeah. is 12 FS12, which is uh, Malibu Blonde. Yes. And it matches my eyes perfectly. It makes me, like, I, I don't leave the house without my hair on. I don't even leave the bedroom hardly without my hair on. Because it's become part of my identity. But it's so, per- yeah. it was, it, you put it on, it was almost as if it was like, oh, no, that's it. That is it. Yeah. We, we went through the shades and the looks, and it was Malibu Blonde. Yes. I'm glad that it's Malibu Blonde, because I am expensive. well the thing is you have the skin coloring so nora has ruddy white skin and the thing is you have that amazing skin color that you could wear any hair color (laughs) i mean like you could wear like people would buy it as natural or as anything because you you have that look which is kind of maddening because you know you can't put me in a blonde (laughs) wig and have me look at all normal like it wouldn't look it wouldn't look real the black eyebrows and the big italian face like it's not gonna work (laughs) but um you can carry it it's another advantage of working in tech is that you work indoors you never go outdoors therefore you remain porcelain pale all right this is this is like all the reasons why an it career is perfect for so many people in the climate change this is where everybody needs to head do not be outside 
yeah, you don't go outside working in IT. I mean, that's not where the computers are. <laughs> it's true. So now tell me, do you want to go to space? Yes, absolutely. When I was young, that was that's what I wanted to do was be an astronaut. Of course, my dad working in aerospace was probably had something to do with that too. But, you know, we got to meet astronauts and my dad worked on the shuttle. So we got to meet tons of engineering types. And yeah, yeah. So do you think, where, what do you think the future is for that kind of travel? I'm really excited about what SpaceX is doing in Boca Chica with the Starship. That's the next really interesting rocket that I think will do some cool stuff. I know NASA's working on a moon lander again, which is really neat. And I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, SpaceX will be the first company to to get a large number of people into space and onto another galactic body. And I know that uh, SpaceX is shooting to have boots on Mars by 2024. I don't know if that's exactly realistic, but considering the rapid pace of the Starship design, it's maybe not out of the realm of possibility yet. Wow. So, so okay, so I have several questions tied to this. So are they going to offer you an employee discount? <laughs> <laughs> Elon once said that uh, that SpaceX employees will get first dibs for setting up a man base on Mars. Will you sign up? Yeah, yeah, definitely. My wife's also on board. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh I would imagine. Be next question. <laughs> like, uh, it better be your next question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can't go by yourself. Yeah, no, we, I mean, it's only a nine month trip. And I mean, we just went through three or four months of hell selling our house. So if we could, if we could survive through that, we can survive it double. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. So do you think that in your, in our lifetime, so we're all, uh, Lenya and I are the same age. We're a little bit over 50. So we're all in the same generation. Do you think in our generation, there'll be any kind of colony on another planet? Absolutely. Wow. I'm confident that we will see humans on another planet before the end of our days. That's kind of exciting. Now, next question. Are you a science fiction fan or no? Do you not care? Are you like, do you watch it? Like I have a friend who has, she has her PhD in math and her master's in physics. And her dad was also an aeronautics engineer. And she, she sometimes watches like Battlestar Galactica. I mean, she's a fan. She likes sci-fi, but she seriously is. That's not real. That's not real. That's not real. Like, she, <laughs> And I'm like, come on. You're missing the fun. point. Yeah. yeah. Have fun with it. So do you, are you a sci-fi fan? I, I am a sci-fi fan. I think once again, I owe that to my dad. He liked the original Star Trek series. So I watched a lot of that growing up. And of course, back then, uh, Buck Rogers was still on TV. Yeah. A show which I really liked. Yeah, that robot named Twiggy. Yo, beat beat beat. Yes. Yeah. I remember the, the, the opening theme song was like my favorite song. <laughs> It was an epic theme song. Yes. I mean, that was a song that could be like some random country's like national anthem. That's <laughs> the national anthem, yes. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. I like science fiction a lot. I don't watch a lot of the modern science fiction shows. I do love Star Trek, of course. Hot Take. I love Voyager. Oh, oh yes. Me too. Not a lot of people think Voyager is one of the good ones. <laughs> no, Voyager <laughs> belongs in canon. Captain Janeway and Seven. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Can't go wrong. 
cannot go wrong. I fought like I do not follow <laughs> celebrities on Instagram at all. Like I'm kind of anti that, but I follow Jerry Ryan, who is seven, and I follow. Um, <laughs> yes. Now I'm forgetting her name, but I, I follow Captain Janeway too. Like I follow those two actors because I don't care. Oh, like, Jane Mulgrew. Like, yeah. Yeah. Jane Mulgrew and Jerry Ryan. Like I, I am a fan girl. Like absolutely. So no, I love Voyager. I mean. I have gone while Lenya's been trying to get me to watch new shows. I'm on Netflix rewatching <laughs> Voyager for the eighth time. So I, <laughs> I, I, I love it. it. Yeah. I get it. For me, I think my biggest sci-fi ingestion is still from books. Mm. Uh, I, I read and reread a lot of like silver age science fiction stuff sure. from like well, 50s, 60s. I love the 60s writers. Oh, wow. So, so does my partner, Eric. What was your favorite shout out or recommendation to our listeners? My jams are actually sci-fi anthologies because that way you can read a bunch of shorter stories and get a different variety of styles. Something that always comes back to mind that made an impact on me was I Have No Mouth, Yet I Must Scream by Harlan Ellison. Okay, I'm going to read it. It's a story. <laughs> <laughs> it. The, the last line in the story is, I have no mouth and I must scream. And the buildup to that is, holy shit. <laughs> I'm getting chills just okay. for, like remembering that story. Harlan Ellison nailed like the, his writing on that story. It's been reprinted a lot, so you should be able to find it online. Okay, that's great. And we'll link it in the show notes for people too. No, I know. Well, I discovered, some, I mean, I read, I mean, I read some, Isaac Asimov like early on like in high school but I it's really like a series of boyfriends my law school boyfriend Rod loves science fiction and we always we traded books and so he set me on to Dune and to the Foundation trilogy and then Eric also was into science fiction and he set me on to Ender's Game and like a whole host of it and then nice. you know now I just I read a lot of science fiction I like it a lot I like, and especially during the pandemic, I've been sort of living a little bit in sci-fi fantasy because I can't cope with our own <laughs> reality. So I might as well be in a different <laughs> one. So it's, and for me, Battlestar, the new Battlestar Galactica, the one that came out in 2005 or six, that for me is the space opera of all time for me. Did okay. you watch it? I, tr truth be told, I've never seen an episode. I've meant to, but okay. now, now, I, I haven't gotten around to it. My my COVID nineteen binge watch was Xena Warrior Princess. <laughs> oh my god, I loved that show. I watched it. I watched it. I watched it so. too. <laughs> I watched it too. But I mean, it was the best show for sisterhood. It is a great definitely. show. definitely, absolutely, absolutely. Once it no, looked I like the, all the closures were going to happen, my wife and I bought a new DVD player, a new Blu-ray player. I got the box set from Xena off of Amazon and never looked back. But you had to work the whole time, right, Nora, right? That's, that's true. I actually never stopped going into work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. North Even during Central. the pandemic, I've been going to the office because of the nature of my work. Some of the stuff some of the IT infrastructure that I work on isn't connected to machines that are connected to the internet. Yeah. Because of security reasons, obviously. So 
there are certain things that don't, can only be done within mission control. Wow. And that's so cool well, that you call it mission control. Okay. I want it. I want, I'm going to start calling my office mission control just because I'm going to copy you. That's you totally so should. <laughs> that is so freaking cool. It is cool. Yeah. So have you felt safe going into work? Yes, absolutely. Oh, oh, because of the COVID stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do feel safe going into work even during COVID. My, my employer took COVID very seriously. We formulated our own hand sanitizer out of rocket fuel because, you know, alcohol. <laughs> so we made our own hand sanitizer. We made our own face shields. They removed uh, half the tables in the common areas, put dividers between the seats and removed, you know, half the chairs as well. They propped all the common doors open that weren't going into a secure area so that you wouldn't have to touch the handles. You name it, my, my work did it. And uh, they also offered antibody testing. Oh, wow. Wow. At the beginning, it was uh, every other week because there was only maybe six people in the office in my department. And so we were getting tested every other week just to be certain. But because I work with an ACE team of people that are smart and responsible, I have full faith in, in my coworkers that they weren't bringing it in. Face masks are required everywhere. And my, my employer got rid of a lot of potential vectors of infection. And, and I feel like they're taking really good care of us, actually. That's good. And in fact, I'm getting another antibody test next week. So that's kind of awesome. Yeah, that's incredible. So where do you, when do you think that we'll get vaccinations here in California? Like our age? <laughs> People our age are getting them, but only if they're... If they're right, right, right. I mean, essential, if you're not... That's the word. Right. If you're um, not essential, when are we getting them? Average folk. Summer. Yeah, that's what I think too. I think summer. Yeah, I'm, I have, I'm thinking summer. I would think later. You think later? I don't, I mean, that's why like for the university, I don't think we'll be back until mid-fall, like in person. Like I'm kind of prepared because even if I get vaccinated, the students are going to be unwilling to come back because they're going to be in their 20s and they're not going to necessarily yeah. want to be back. Yeah. So I still think we're going to be a while away. We'll see. But that's impressive. That's impressive, though, that you've been able to sort of go in and stay healthy. And that's great. And your wife, too. So that's. Well, that's my wife, said my, my, my wife hasn't been able to go to the office, so she's been working oh. from home. OK, I'm actually really fortunate for having been able to go into the office just for my mental health because I can still interact with other humans. Yeah. And so I've tried to take care of my wife this year during COVID by just listening when I get home because she doesn't, she has no coworkers to talk to. The coworkers are the cats. And uh, I mean, <laughs> this guy isn't much of a conversationist right now, are you, buddy? Oh, no. So, pretty. Oh, so beautiful. <laughs> Lenya and I are both working, like Lenya and Shane are at home. I'm not even going to lie moving the offices around because I'm sitting at the, so I changed jobs, Nora. I don't know. If, yeah. You know that I left. Yeah. School. Yeah. I know. Right. And so, and then I changed jobs just before the pandemic and still lost the job that I was supposed to go to. And so I started, yeah, I started working uh, for Chico's. I don't, you know, Chico's white house, black market and Soma. Yeah. I, I love and White House Black Market and Chico's. I, I, I started working with them in store at Soma, and then I transitioned to an 
virtual stylist position. So I'm at home. And so I sit at the kitchen while watching CNN because I'm obsessed with the news. And my husband is in another room working. But it's it's a weird thing. We're, we're, we've gotten used to it. And Alex also has a fantastic like setup where she's in her studio and her husband's inside. But it's just, it, I can't imagine what it would be like for a couple to be on top of one another you know, during this right now. But Eric and I sometimes have a hard time. I mean, I think it's great, Nora, that you get to go into work and then there is time where your wife gets to sort of be alone because there are really times where Eric and I just want alone time, like alone in the whole house time. You know, I was like, go walk the dog for an hour so I can do all my secret weird behavior in the hour that I have because I'm (laughs) never alone to be weird. That's a problem for me. So even though we have great rooms, yeah. I mean, everybody needs their alone time. And I just, I do sometimes stay out in the studio. I really give him his time, but we're also really enjoying right now that he gets up about two hours earlier than I do. And I go to bed about two hours later. And so we have those two hours where we're really alone. And it's, and we did that for years in San Francisco. We lived in a two room apartment. I mean, two room plus a kitchen and we both worked from home. And so it was, it, we really, the bathroom was a very private place because that was the only room where we couldn't really see each other. (laughs) And then, and then we would see that sort of, yeah, it was. I got to say though, we spent eight years together in that tiny apartment and it was great. I mean, people, you, we were young. I mean, but it wasn't bad. It really wasn't. Alex, that's because he's your person. Yes, he is my person. Yeah. If he wasn't your person, every little thing that he did would give you the shits and, and the two of you would have been out of it already. I think that's true, but it was also the first eight years of our relationship because now fast forward to 22 years together, I'm not sure we could do a tiny apartment together. <laughs> he is still my person, but I might kill him it, or he 20. might kill me. Yeah. 22 years tw- since 19. Oh, 24. 22 since, years. Yeah. Since we were 28. So yeah. So wow. we met in 96. So yeah. Congratulations. Your relationship is old enough to drink. <laughs> yeah. Your relationship's <laughs> old enough to drink. It's true. <laughs> It's true. We had a very tumultuous 40s. We had two breakups in our 40s and we married and divorced, but we're still together. Like it's we liked a lot of drama. <laughs> we liked a lot of drama in our 40s. So when we got back together this last well, time, Jane and I were together 10 yeah. years in March. That's a long beautiful time. I'm very happy for you, Alex. I've been very happy oh. for you for years. But yeah, Shane and I are together um 10 years in March. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. And you and so Nora, you and your wife have been together. You said eleven years. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, this is this year is our eleven year anniversary. Wow. Yeah. So that's. I'm beautiful. happy we got married in 2010 because the math is a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. (laughs) I don't, I sometimes get it wrong with our years. It's hard and we don't have an anniversary date. So did you, so Nora, did you have a wedding? We did have a wedding. We had a wedding in my wife's hometown in Kentucky inside her mom's little Korean Baptist church. And it was 
awesome. Day I'll never forget. It was a wonderful day. But one yeah, of the best days of my life for sure. That's amazing. And I've seen Lenya's, I've seen pictures from Lenya's and I think a video from Lenya's wedding. Yeah, I have a video and that was done. Was and you had a beautiful dress. Yeah. yeah. That, I'm not talking married. We've only been married, I think, eight or eight years. This is just yeah. all, all together. Because remember, I'm like, you know, this is my my third marriage. So Third? Wow. Third. Oh, yeah. there's a secret. There's something that just occurred that I never knew. There is a there is another marriage in there that I have never known about, Lenya. Oh, my teenage marriage that I, I like was over really. I, you know what? You know I'm Latin, so my parents pushed me to get married really young. Yeah. You're, you're, and you have a dad who's a lawyer and a mother who's a social worker, and they push you to get married <laughs> as a teenager? 19, 18, 19. Yeah, because my mother got married late, and, you know, her family never let her forget it. Oh, my God. Yeah, and they never let her forget it. She had me at 27, and that was late. I had my son at 25, and that was late. You know? Wow. So not yeah, my experience so, at all. But you know, I mean I almost don't even count that marriage because it doesn't even it was over before it started. You know what I mean? It just doesn't seem but it in in reality I've been married three times. But the set my second marriage was the long one. And I keep telling Shane when we're together um past eleven years, then I will feel I have pushed that bit of my life out of the way. Not that I ever think about that guy, this guy ever, but you know, it's just still, it was like that big relationship. The next biggest relationship of my life is with Kadeem. He's over 25 now. So, you know, <laughs> he's like, I can't begin to think about that. He's going to be 30 soon. Yeah. I you're going to have a 30 year old son. I, oh, Lenya, you're oh, old. My, I know, right? <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Just that. I'm yeah, I will. Since I don't have kids. I will never be old. I will just constantly <laughs> just be a child. Same. No, you know, it's, but I got to say, so Eric and I, it just occurred to me, well, like within the last six months that my parents divorced when they were at 24 years together. And now, like Eric and I have made it with a couple of breaks, we've made it that far and that feels pretty good. And and now my dad is has been remarried for 30 years. So he's well past, he's way well past that line, Lenya, with his, with Sandy. So it's- I got one more year. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's true love for them. I mean, it is true love. It is, they are the model that we should all aim for. It is, they are true. That is true love personified for them. So it- I hope I can have that. You don't think you do already? No, I do. I totally do. But it's a different, <laughs> you know what? It is a different relationship and I won't like, so there is a difference between when my dad and my stepmom met, they had already earned their money. They had already raised their children and they already knew who they were as people because they were in their late forties. And there was, there is something to well, there might be something beautiful to going through your salad days and growing up together. There's a lot of hard things that you have to sort of cope with and resentments and power dynamics and dealing with your parental conditioning and all that stuff that Eric and I have had to get through. And I'm proud that we've gotten through it and we're great together. But my parents didn't have to go through any of that. So their 30 years has been like, you look at it and it's just kind of, magical in that sense that all that stuff was 
already like done, you know? And so there was none of that dynamic there where Eric and I are still, when we have an argument, we're like, okay, are we arguing about what's going on now? Or are we arguing about the fight we had when we were 28? <laughs> and it felt like there was much more at stake. Like we have to figure that out. So it's, it's different. So no, I feel like I have that, but it's just, it's different. And I think it's okay to admire a, a relationship and sort of say, you know, that's a little bit of the North star. That's how I want to be. And, you know, there, my dad's 82. I look at it as like, I want to be like that when I'm in my eighties, where we're traveling together, there's still romance. My dad took Sandy for her. I forget. It was a birthday a few years ago to St. Petersburg to, to see the ballet. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, don't you want that? I mean, don't yeah. you want to be like, yes, yeah, see, like I, I yes. yes. So there's a romance there that's yeah. pretty special. And okay, I, I get it now. <laughs> you know, so 30 years and they were supposed to go to South Africa for their, their wedding anniversary this fall, but COVID. My wife and I were talking about going to Hawaii and getting remarried this year. Ooh. COVID. So, <laughs> yeah. COVID. Yeah. It'll happen. But you guys will. You'll do a wedding at some other point and get and renew your vows. Yes. And I'm I'm gonna look so pretty in the dress. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well then Lenya will style you because she'll love that. Oh I love <laughs> doing brides when they're not bridezillas. Nora, thank you for coming on the show. It was so great to talk to you. I hope you'll come on again after COVID. We can plan your wedding. We could do that on the podcast, or we could just plan the trip to Mars <laughs> and you can get us discounts. That would be great. We'll work on that. Yeah. Yes. Would you settle for would you settle for a factory tour for now? Yes. Oh, I would yes. love that. Me oh too. Yeah. That would be so exciting. I'm sure the tours will open up once uh COVID's kind of done with. Oh, yeah. I would love that. I would love oh that. God. We take the podcast on the road. I love it. That's We're what just I'm us. telling you, girl. <laughs> Everybody, thank you for listening. We're Women Bridging the Gap. Find us at womenbridgingthegap.com. Find us on Facebook. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Instagram. Instagram. And tell everybody about us. Bye, everybody. And share us with your friends. Bye. 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 Thanks, Alex and Linya.